Humble people take themselves out of the position of sovereignty and authority. Humble people take the pressure off of themselves. They realize that they're not God. God himself controls outcomes. So he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Humility, where do we rate on the scale? Is life all about us? Do we appear to demand that our thoughts and opinions always be heard? Do we crave recognition, the limelight? Well, let's see what God's Word has to say about it right now, here on Living a Legacy. Join us. Our speaker is author and Bible teacher Crawford Loretz. Crawford has been in church and organizational Christian ministry for over 48 years, recently retiring as pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. He's authored such books as For a Time We Cannot See, Make It Home Before Dark, Unshaken, and Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, which is co-authored by Crawford's wife, Karen. Well, today we head back to 1 Peter chapter 5 for a look at what should be a key piece of clothing in our spiritual wardrobes. Crawford is leading us through a series called Better Together, the One and Others of the New Testament. And so far, we've looked at how we're to love one another, forgive one another, and today more about clothing ourselves in humility toward one another. Let's get right to our study. Again, we're in 1 Peter chapter 5. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. Humility is the prerequisite to service, and service is the practice of humility. Humble people serve. Uh, humility is in the verb position. That's what humility is. You don't know, have seminars about humility. You don't know, have you know, just small group discussions about humility. Humility is service. It's who you are. Humility is not a strategy. Did you hear what I said? It is not a strategy. It is an identity. We have all met people who are falsely humble. They change their tone of voice. So they, you know, you hear them pray and they, you know, they say the right words and all of those other kinds of things. But you feel when you're around them that they're really gigging you. They're really kind of gaming you. There's a little disingenuous aura to them. They're trying too hard, paradoxically, to impress you that they're spiritual, which in a silly way is just the expression of pride. So humility is not a strategy. Humility is not, not something to, to affect a bottom line. That's not humility. Humility is an identity. You're humble because you've been in the presence of Jesus. And it's born out of sincere love for others. It is core to who we are. Humility is not demeaning ourselves, though and thinking poorly of ourselves. It is not thinking of ourselves at all. Hear me on this, this is not double speak. Humility is supreme confidence. Insecure people, contrary to what you might think, pride and arrogance are fueled by the fertilizer of insecurity. They're fueled by the fertilizer of insecurity. They have to control the room. They've got to control the relationships. They've got to be the centerpiece of conversation. Why? Because they don't know who they are. Humble people are confident people because they don't have to lead with themselves. Why? Because they lead with dependence upon God. We'll see this in a few moments. 
When Jesus said, I just read this in, in Philippians 2, when he said that, uh, he, did not, he did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. I know that's kind of an awkward, in English is an awkward sentence there. But what he really means by that is this. He knew who he was. He knew that he was accepted by the Father. He knew that he was coming down to this world for a mission. He knew that when he rose, after he died on the cross and rose again on the third day and was ascended to heaven, he would go back and be seated at that chair that belonged to him. He knew that that could not be affected. And because that could not be affected, his identity could not be affected. It could not be moved. He could lay it aside. So humility is supreme confidence. And I would to God that we would get that when we're sure of God's love for us. When we're sure that we cannot be separated from him. When we understand that, that whatever God has for us, no mortal being can take from us. When we understand that, we'll stop the spitting contests. We'll stop the comparisons. We'll stop competing with one another. We'll stop being hamstrung by jealousy and envy because we know that we're loved by the Father. So it is supreme confidence. And again, I'm struggling here today because I'm not, playing, I'm not playing word games with you. This comes out of my own experience. The closer I am to Jesus, the less it matters what somebody thinks about me. And you're free to serve. But there's also a warning here. Peter says, now, careful. Clothe yourselves with all of you with humility toward one another, for God, now hear this warning. This is one of the scariest warnings that you'll ever read in the scriptures. Hear this, unless you're confused about what God thinks about pride, pay attention to what he says here. God, who? God, not Peter, and definitely not me, but God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, now, in the Greek text, literally, it says this, and it's really stronger, that God sets himself against the proud. You want God to come after you? Just don't give him his glory. Don't give him his glory. Pride is ugly. Peter warns, hey, 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 this is not some little arbitrary thing here, buddy. You do understand, if you don't humble yourself, God will break you. You really don't want God coming after you. You don't want that. You can put people down if you want to. Go ahead. You can talk negatively about them. You can get a big head about your accomplishments and all that stuff. You can demean and dismiss people all you want to. You can be condescending in your attitude all you want to. God says, I promise you, if you don't repent, I will break you. You see, this whole pride thing, this whole pride thing has unraveled so much. Uh, I could get into all of this. God hates pride. You know, Proverbs 6, 16 through 17, Proverbs 8, 13. You know, in the Bible, pride, 
Pride means preferring our self-will over God's will. That's what pride is. Basically, that's all that pride is, but that's a biggie. It's preferring our self-will over God's will. Proud people have a tendency to use God. Humble people submit to God. That's a basic difference. Spiritually proud people want to use God. Humble people submit to God. You know, it was pride that turned Lucifer into Satan. It was pride that stirred Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. It was pride that drove Judas to betray Jesus. Pride is the home page of all sin. But notice he says that God goes after the proud, opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Just the opposite. God comes near the humble like this. God comes after the proud like this. The idea of giving grace to the humble means it implies acceptance, favor, and resources. Grace is the sweet fruit of repentance. It's the people who know that they're needy. They know that they need God. God says, I'll pour my favor over you. I'll pour my resources over you. As I was preparing for this message, I read this article, and I, it, it's called Humility Versus Pride here. It's by Brandon Tao. And I, I think it's worth listening to a few lines from this, from this article. Tao says in this article that humility is a virtue. Pride is not. Humility comes when people are secure. Pride comes when they are insecure. A humble leader is a confident leader, knowing who they are and what they do. A prideful leader is an overconfident leader, trying to convince other people that they are good enough to be doing what they're doing. Humility is strength, pride is weakness. The most humble people never have to prove themselves or hide anything. The most prideful people you'll meet are always proving themselves and hiding something. Humility is attractive. It makes people want to follow you. Pride, pride is obnoxious. It causes people to flee from you. A humble person understands himself or herself realistically knowing what they can do and what they can do well versus what they cannot do well. Humble people are not afraid to take constructive criticism or counsel, nor do they feel the need to take credit when it is due elsewhere. A prideful person, however, hasn't taken the time to truly know themselves. The pride in them makes them want to be someone else and blame others when weakness appears. Humble people are responsive to their teams, themselves and others, asking what they can do to improve and respecting others by default. Proud people are resistant and view everyone else as the problem. Humble people understand their dependence on friends, family and colleagues and then lean into their support for the good of the whole. Proud people put themselves first and always pursue their own agenda, even at the expense of others. The bottom line, well, it is better to be humble than proud, secure instead of insecure, confident instead of overconfident, and responsive rather than resistant. And you see the gospel, the person of our savior, takes away the fear of man Pride cannot exist without the fear of man. 
And Jesus takes that all away. And he whispers in, in your ear, Crawford, stop it, man. You don't have anything to prove. You don't have anything to prove. You can authentically be who you are. Failures, shortcomings, inadequacies, all of that. Why? Because you're known, loved, and accepted by your Savior. Duty, demeanor, identity. But thirdly and finally, humility is described here as dependence. In essence, humility is really a life that reflects dependence upon God. And this is what he says here. Verse 6 says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Uh, The first line or bullet point underneath this whole idea of, of, of dependence is the recognition that God controls outcomes. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Humble people take themselves out of the position of sovereignty and authority. Humble people take the pressure off of themselves. They realize that they're not God. The God himself, God himself controls outcomes. So he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Now, the point here is you've got to understand a little bit of the context. Actually, the expression, humble yourselves, there could have been translated, allow yourselves to be humbled. Allow yourselves to be humble. Don't fight what's happening to you. Don't resist it. The context here is that Peter is writing to churches that have been, uh, to believers who have been scattered throughout the Roman Empire, and they're undergoing hellacious persecution and suffering. And rather than, rather than give a bunch of placebo, motivational, empty statements, Peter acknowledges the reality that y'all are having a hard time. You're having a hard time. Why? Because it is the hand of God that has allowed this suffering. So what does he say? Well, humble yourselves under that mighty hand. The same mighty hand that let them suffer will one day lift them up. He said he'll exalt you at the right time. And again, I said this earlier, some of us have gotten so ticked off and frustrated by what's going on. I mean, I've had my bouts myself. You know, you can't do what you used to do. When in the world is this stuff going to be over? When can we travel freely? All this other kind of stuff that's going on right now. We're angry. We're frustrated. We're ticked off. We're wondering about all of this stuff. What is the school? All of this stuff going on. We got to be careful. This, you know, we should be concerned about that and help figure out some solutions. But, but the deal is this. You cannot allow the external circumstances to affect your attitude toward God. And so what God is calling us to do right now is to to drop to our knees and depend on him and let him orchestrate. Now, the other thing about this dependence is that the statement here is that God takes care of us. And what I want you to notice something, this is not some English classroom here, but notice, notice that verses six and seven is one sentence. And verse 7 begins with a, with a participle. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he has his hand on the thermostat and on the clocks, and his eye on the clock, so at the proper time, he may exalt you. Then he says, this is how you humble yourselves. Interesting. Interesting. Participle. How you humble yourselves, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
How you humble yourself is to express utter dependence upon God when you're in the midst of suffering and hard time. You cast your cast your cares, you cast your anxieties on him. And he uses the word cast there on purpose. That's the word that was used of a, of a fisherman that would take his, take his net and fling it. In other words, he said, look, you take all those burdens, throw them off of you. You can't handle it. You can't handle it. Throw them off of you. Get rid of them. Why? Because he cares for you. I hate to say what I'm saying right now because I don't like suffering. But there is no authentic humility apart from pain and suffering. There is none. So as Peter's saying, God has allowed you to go through this rough time right here, and you got a decision. You can either let the Spirit of God make this make you sweet. Well, you can be one angry, resentful, bitter, cantankerous Christian. What are you going to do? I want to get an attribution to this, but I, I, for the life of me, I can't find out the source of this quote. But this little quip here, if we don't separate ourselves from fear, fear will separate us from God. If we don't separate ourselves from fear, this is the reason why you have to cast your anxiety on it. If you don't separate yourself from fear, fear is going to separate us from God. I don't mean our salvation, but I mean, I mean his resources, intimacy with him. And humble people embrace dependence upon God. Now, let me give you just quickly, just quickly, five applications and I sort of entitled this The Guardrails for Humility. A lot of this has come out of my own life, what I've had to learn about this whole thing here, but let me just pass them off to you. The first thing is, if we're, if we're going to protect this sweet demeanor that God has called us to, incumboma, the apron of a slave, a servant. The first thing is this, number one, discard the stepping stone approach to relationships. Stop that. Don't use people. For those of us who are task-oriented, goal-oriented, achievement-oriented, that's a wonderful thing. It's not a bad thing. Not, I got some of that in me. It's not a bad thing at all. However, you got to be careful because you can begin to nurture relationships that are utilitarian. So take a little look at uh, why you enter into certain relationships. Why are you doing that? And make sure that your heart and your mind is pure and it's not just a stepping stone. Number two, uh, another guardrail is to ask God to help you to lead with meeting needs. Others orientation, meaning that we look around and our, our, our demeanor and our attitude is how can I bless someone else? How can I meet their needs? Uh, what are they going through? And ask God to help you to be oriented that way. Thirdly, don't operate from power, position, or privilege. Don't operate from power, position, or privilege. Do leaders have power? Yes. Do they have position? Yes. Do they have privilege? Yes. 
But here's the difference. Here's the difference. Godly leaders, godly leaders realize that power, privilege, and position, those three things are not a statement of their identity or entitlement. They are stewardship matters. They steward power, privilege, and position. But their identity is Jesus. And they don't get the two confused. They use power, privilege, and position to bless and encourage and underscore the value of people around them. Number four, make others the centerpiece of your conversation. Don't always one-up people. Uh, Be sincerely interested in who they are. And then finally, number five, stay mindful of your constant need for grace and mercy. Stay mindful of that. Stay mindful of it. When people give you compliments, obviously say thank you. But quickly give the glory to Jesus. And understand that you don't deserve this. That we're all sinners. That God's been merciful to us. What right do we have to be dismissive of someone else? What right do we have to judge them? What what right do we have to put them in a lesser category? Really? All of us deserve hell. All of us deserve eternal separation from God. Every last one of us, every last one of us had to bow our knee to the Savior and receive that grace and mercy. And every single day of our lives, we need, we, every single day of our lives, every moment of every day of our lives, we need that grace and mercy. And never forget that. It is that sweetness of understanding our real neediness paradoxically that keeps us close to the hearts of other people and realize that I need them as much as they need me. And we both need to Savior. Amen. Crawford Loretz here on Living a Legacy. I hear those guardrails again for living in humility. Discard the stepping stone approach to relationships. Ask God to help you to lead with meeting needs. Don't operate from power, position, or privilege. Make others the centerpiece of your conversation. And stay mindful of your constant need for grace and mercy. Well, that was the second part of Crawford's message, Clothe Yourselves in Humility Toward One Another. It's all part of the series, Better Together, the One Another's of the New Testament. Hope you'll take a moment to write to us. A short email will let us know that God is using this program in your life. Here's an email from Kathy. My husband and I listen to Crawford every Sunday morning. His teachings never fail to put a finger on an area of sin in our lives, offer encouragement, dispense grace, open our eyes to God's greater work, and generally bless us. We are maturing in the faith through living a legacy. I often pass along a particularly relevant sermon to friends and family members. Thank you, and may God continue to bless this ministry that blesses so many others. Well, thank you very much, Kathy. That's what we need to hear. Now, how about you? Are you a regular listener? Let us know you're there with a short email this week to livingalegacy.org. Well, next week, it's Crawford's fourth message in our One Another series. He'll speak about bearing one another's burdens. Hope you'll join us right here 
For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for listening. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.